Welcome to Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, where we will help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business, impact supply chain success, and enable you to replace risky inventory with valuable insights. Join your Tech Talk host, Corinne Bursa, the 2020 Supply Chain Pro to Know of the Year. With more than 25 years of supply chain and technology expertise and the scars to prove it, Corinne has the heart of a teacher and has helped nearly 1,000 customers transform their businesses and tell their success stories. Join the conversation, share your insights, and learn how to harness technology innovations to drive tangible business results. Buckle up, it's time for Tech Talk, powered by Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good afternoon, Corinne, how you doing? Hey, good afternoon, Scott, how are you today? Doing wonderful, excited about this big conversation here on Tech Talk, Digital Supply Chain podcast right here on Supply Chain Now. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for joining me today. I am really excited to share some insights or actually to get some insights from our guests today. And I want to welcome all of our supply chain movers and shakers to the discussion. So you guys, sharpen your pencils, get ready. I'm sure you'll have some questions for today's guests as we dive into what's happening in the shipping arena as you are struggling to get your products in the hands of your customers. So uh, we'll tell you a little more about that in just a minute. Scott, anything we need to be aware of? You know, uh, just buckle up. We've got a, a great conversation. As, as Corinne said it right, two movers and shakers. Uh, the Smothers Brothers of Supply Chain are with us here today <laughs> on this, this live stream episode. So, uh, But we should say hello to a few folks that have joined us. Folks, we're going to want to hear your insights and POV throughout the live stream. We'll bring your comments in. Uh, you're going to really enjoy Ben and Matt's take on uh, a lot of things that are taking place across global supply chain today. want to say hello to Pratik, and Pratik's got some good news, Corinne. What's Pratik the good news? finally made it to Atlanta. Oh, so really? Awesome. We're going to have to reconnect soon. So Pratik, welcome, and looking forward to, to seeing you in person uh, soon. Trinevis is back with us via LinkedIn from India. Trinevis, how are you doing? Great to have you back, as always. Now, Barbara is reading our mind. Corinne, because we love to, when folks join us in the skyboxes, as we call it, the cheap seats or whatever the, the latest phrase is of the week, we love to hear where you're from. So Barbara's tuned in via LinkedIn from Marietta, Georgia, here in the metro Atlanta area. So welcome, welcome. Y'all get ready to join in on a great conversation. Okay. So Corinne, uh, we are, we're trying to save a lot of time on the front end because we got so much to get through here today. We do. We do. So are we ready to go ahead and, and swoosh in our guests? Yeah, let me say just a few things about what we're going to cover today, right? So we've got a great conversation teed up with Ben Cubitt and Matthew Harding. They're both with TransPlace. So TransPlace has been doing a quarterly research project that looks, takes a forward look at shipping trends and what you can do to mitigate some of the risk and um, shore up your planning and your collaboration with your carriers. So um, we are bound to get some interesting insights today. If you're not familiar with TransPlace, chances are there's some products in your home that have been shipped uh, and, and coordinated with the TransPlace team. So TransPlace manages about $11 billion under freight management, $11 billion. And their key markets Wait a second, are, wait a second. Yeah. 11 B Bill as in billion. Yes. <laughs> I mean, billion. Wow. That's a lot of freight, right? And their primary markets are North America and Europe. And then they're growing in a number of different ways. And they've had some interesting news recently as well. But I think that means they've got somewhere, Scott, in the range of 60,000 or so users on their platform, right? Bringing, mm. bringing carriers and shippers together to help move goods more efficiently in the marketplace. So we have got a strong point of view and some good data to, uh, to review with the audience today. So how about- hey, really quick. Yeah. Really quick, Corinne. I'll say hello to a couple of folks. Sylvia Judy is back with us. Sylvia. From We're looking for some Holy, jelly. <laughs> that's right. It's some jam. Uh, from the Holy City of Charleston, South Carolina. J Sylvia, you're going to get a kick out of this conversation, so stay tuned. And Azalea Davis, one of our favorite 
uh, commenters uh, that shares your POV on here all the time. Azalea, great to have you back here. Looking forward to uh, your take on the conversation. Okay, so with no further ado, Corinne, I think you were going to officially introduce. I was. I I would like to join us today. It's going to be Matthew Harding. He is the Senior Vice President of Data Science and Engineering with TransPlace. And then Ben Cubitt, who is also Senior Vice President. And his focus is in the area of consulting and network services. So we're going to get a great comprehensive view of both the data and the research, as well as the practical use of that information to help you guide your businesses better. So Scott, I'm going to call it. Let's bring him in. Trigger this. <laughs> I love that. What a great energetic start to the conversation. Hey, Ben, Matt, how are we doing? Great. Hey, Scott, doing great. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking with Barbara and Sylvia and Zelia and everyone. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, Corinne and I were talking earlier, a sidebar. I feel like I, I got a certification from our pre-show planning call from you both. I mean, you are <laughs> dropping a ton of knowledge. You know, we, we've enjoyed a couple of uh, episodes with uh, TransPlace uh, leaders and, and thought leaders. Uh, so we're great to have you back. But before we get Corinne, Matt, and Ben, and all our friends in the skyboxes, before we get to um, getting your take on what's going on in supply chain and freight in the 2021 Q3 market update and outlook, I want to start kind of on a, on a fun note, right? We'll get to the heavy lifting. So I got some some hard-hitting questions for you. I got two of them. The first one is, so this past weekend, we love going to the Monroe Farmer's Market here on the fringe of the metro Atlanta area. We had the best tomatoes we've had all summer yet. So that always brings my mind to food. It's a lunch hour. So Ben, I want to pose this to you first. When summer comes around and you're also in the metro Atlanta area, what's that one food or culinary experience you look forward to? Well, summers are great for me when it comes to helping out with cooking because I can cook out. And that's about the limit of my cooking. So any kind of cooking out with family, friends is great. I have, though, got uh, decent at making a shrimp stir fry over the last year. So that's nice. that's, that's my new add to uh, my limited cooking skills. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Hey, uh, Corinne, Sylvia says, sorry for the send to pause. We'll start working on the jam. So uh, Sylvia, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sylvia has uh, some award-winning blue ribbon uh, jam, uh, and she's a, a dear friend of Supply Chain Now. Okay, Matt, same question for you. What do you look forward to? You're based up in New Hampshire. What do you look forward to in the summers? Well, I mean, if you're in New Hampshire, first of all, I'm an omnivore, so I always look forward to food. Um <laughs> But but for the summers up here, there's really nothing better than than a than a lobster roll. Um, mm. You have to cook it the right way. It has to be you know a buttered hot dog bun cooked on both sides, and you can't do it the the just buttering the lobster. You got to have the celery, the paprika, the mayonnaise. It has to be done perfectly. And if you're in flip flops when you have one, it's even better. So. That's my <laughs> Gosh, I, I'm not sure if we've had a guest make us all collectively uh, hungry, uh, painting such a, time, a gorgeous yeah. <laughs> picture. Um, all right. So second question, maybe a tougher question. Uh, so we had a lot of fun pre-show. And of course, I think we mentioned the Smothers Brothers of Supply Chain here, Bartles and James, you name it, a lot of other uh, famous duos. But one thing we gleaned from our conversation, Corinne, uh, earlier is that evidently, We've got the Top Gun duo here. So they describe themselves as Ben being Maverick, right? Tom Cruise and Matt being Goose. And I can't remember the actor that played Goose uh, in Top Gun, but nevertheless. So that's one of my favorite 1980s movies. There's so many good ones. So the, the tough question here, the billion dollar question, the 11 billion dollar question here, Ben, is what's your favorite, one of your favorite 1980s movies? Yeah, Scott. Yeah, I love the the making of movies, documentaries, those mm-hmm. specials. And they were running them kind of back to back a week or two ago. And uh, I saw the making of kind of the story behind Back to the Future and uh, Ghostbusters. So two great 80s movies. And it was really interesting hearing the story of who got cast and how they got cast. And the Back to the Future one, uh, of course, was really great and a classic. And uh, really interesting to get a chance to watch the making of. It's great. I love that. I, I saw a Netflix documentary, I think, about the super fans that are part of the Back to Future and, and you know, how they're rebuilding DeLoreans and all kind of stuff. It is fascinating. <laughs> Very passionate. Uh, passionate. Uh, all right. So, Matt, same question for you as we wrap up our lightning round on the front end. Yeah, I, What's one of your favorite 1980s I, movies? I like this sort of the the, the realism, uh, the stories. Um, I think Rudy is probably one of my favorite movies. Mm. Um you know, steel mill kind of family and gets his butt kicked on the, on the football field. 
get celebrated for uh, having lots of courage. So that's that's my favorite. Rudy, Rudy was all sides, right? Wasn't Rudy all sides? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to talk football. We'll save that for the next show. Uh, we got Georgia Tech, Auburn, and and uh, Ben. Your team is. Uh, I've got multiple, and people give me a hard time. My my daughter graduated from Georgia. We shared season tickets with her and her husband, so uh, Georgia's probably my number one right now. I grew up a big yeah. Tennessee fan too. Awesome. I, I I hate to say it, but Georgia's going to be interesting this year, especially with um, with uh, Muschamp helping out. It's uh, yeah. Going to be uh, an interesting SEC season for sure. Agreed. Agreed. Sylvia says the Breakfast Club <laughs> is one of her favorites from the 80s. And by the mm-hmm. way, hello, Sushil. Great to have you here via LinkedIn. Azalea says, is Gremlins 80s? It I, is. I, let's go with it. it. I think it yeah. is. <laughs> Just add water. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Shauna says, woo pig, Ben, woo pig. Uh, <laughs> Azalea, the Bronx Tales. That's a good one. So, uh, And finally, Greg says, Hoosiers. What a great movie. Hugers was great. So welcome to all of y'all to the conversation and keep the feedback coming. We've got a wonderful, uh, informative, intriguing conversation focused on freight, logistics, shipping, and of course, global supply chain. So with that said, Corinne, where are we starting with our duo here? Yeah, I think we're going to start actually with a big piece of news. I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. But uh, Matt and Ben, you guys had some really big news that got announced uh, towards the end of July about Uber Freight with plans to acquire TransPlace. Anything you can let us know about that? Yeah, I think um, you know right now it's uh, business as usual. We did have the news. Uh, we're excited about the opportunity Uh, But it has to go through regulatory approval and really no changes for Matt and I day to day right now. We're just focused on, you know, helping shippers and and working with carriers doing this difficult, challenging market. Uh, We are excited about it. You know, I've been doing this for, gosh, 30 years plus. And uh, there's been more innovation in the last three or four years than there were probably the previous 25. So I think this has the potential, if we do it right, to be a pretty uh, innovative, exciting uh, combination. Absolutely, Matt. Anything from you? Any uh, any data insights? Kind of hard to hard to, uh, to to top that. that. It's you know it's very early. I think uh, you think of a uh, large carrier networks, large shipper networks coming together. Um, you think you know if you look out three, five, ten years from now, um, sustainability. You think about productivity. All those things that that networks could you know sort of tap into uh, differently. Um, think about the computing power and the you know, trucking assets sort of changing. There's just a lot of really amazing uh, shifts ahead of us. So how all that comes together, I think, is, is just very exciting. But yeah, it's it's very early. So we're we're, um, we're excited about what's coming, but we're a little too early to kind of get into any nitty gritty on that. So understood, understood. Well, as we think about what's coming, let's maybe bring our horizon in a little tighter, and we're going to talk about the latest report that um, that TransPlace has brought to the market. And I, I love the fact that you guys have rolled out this um, forward-looking view of what's happening in the industry and trying to help shippers and carriers plan better and look at some strategies that are going to help them mitigate some of the variability we're seeing. So the focus of the report, Matt, um, help me a little with the demographics. Is it North America and Europe? Uh, And how was some of that material gathered? And you're the numbers guy. Talk about the trends. Yeah, it's it's really a combination of um, of leaders in the market. So we have we have highly specialized uh, focus on modes here in North America for LTL, uh, intermodal. Uh, we have a focus in Mexico, Canada, and then Europe. So the individuals that are in those markets really understand the day to day. So it's it's got a bit of a procurement, you know, working with uh, transportation providers uh, slant to it. Then we want to roll in the data that's on our platform as well as data sources outside of our platform and sort of synthesize that. So um, we have four main areas that we try to cover for each of those, uh, either equipment geography combinations or, or markets. Um, we're trying to understand supply, what's driving that, you know, from a class A manufacturer to labor, you know, everything that impacts supply. Um, focus on the demand portion, you know, where is the demand coming from? How congested is, is are the flows, things like that. And then synthesize that into current conditions and then sort of short-term outlook, you know, what do we think is going to happen in the next three to six months as a, as a forecast? So um, it's a lot of work. It takes us about six weeks, but uh, it's been really well received and we send it out to thousands of, of individuals. So very exciting project. 
Well, well, that's awesome. And the Supply Chain Now team is going to drop a link to that report in the show notes. So anybody listening, feel free to download that. It is packed full of valuable information. So I'm sure as you look at it with your company's eyes on it, you may pick out a few pearls of wisdom that are going to help you in the weeks and months ahead. Now, yep. And Corinne, yeah. really quick, the report, you know, I, I, we were digesting it earlier. It, um, it's, it's put together almost an executive summary uh, mm. mode, right? Great infographics, easy to understand, bullet points, one of my favorite things around here. So y'all check that out. Uh, easy to read, easy to use. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's easy to consume. So, um, yes. so that's good. Um, you know, Ben, t- talk about consuming, right? So in your role with TransPlace, you're working a- and helping a lot of your um, shippers and carriers come together and really do the next right thing, if you will, for the business. So as a trusted advisor, what are you looking at even more keenly these days? I mean, we're in a crazy, crazy time. There's constraints everywhere. Um, Tell us a little bit about just a few of the things that you see as drivers and, and mitigating maybe some of the disruptions that are occurring. Yeah, thanks, Corinne. You know, it is an unusual time. You know, you look at the statistics and, you know, you look at what rates are doing, what capacity is doing. You know, unprecedented is a word that, that just perfectly fits. You know, we saw the lowest spot rates and the highest spot rates in the seven or eight years we've been tracking mm-hmm. that in the same year last year. You know, just unbelievable. I had a large shipper call me this morning and said, you know, then you've been hectoring us, you know, advising us to add capacity. And, and we, we really do need to look at that because our existing port carriers who are our partners, they just can't keep up with our strong demand. Um, and we need to look at, you know, going back to the same folks and, and asking for capacity uh, just doesn't work. And so I think that's one of the first things, the playbook that many people used for 20 years doesn't work in 21. And Throwing out the window. Yep. Throw it out the window. And, you know, keep it, remember some parts of it, be nostalgic about it, but it's it's time to look forward. And um, I, I think it's really about, you know, drivers and disruptions. And, you know, there's a lack of drivers and there's disruption in the supply chain, mm-hmm. uh, regional disruption, modal disruption. And so it's all about capacity. And so what we're stressing to people is focus on capacity, not rates. Certainly mm-hmm. as a shipper, you have a budget, you have to try to respond to that budget but you can't go out and source a rate or a nostalgic rate. And, you know, you have to recognize the market for what it is. You have to keep your core carrier capacity. You have to partner with those folks. You have to be good at adding new carriers. You have to look at different modes like dedicated and intermodal and try to bring that capacity. Intermodal has has some disruptions like every other mode. So you may have to be phased about that. You may have to watch it almost like the stock market. You know, today I'm buying the Chicago to California lane. Uh, I'd really like to do Dallas to California, but maybe it's not available. So I'll, I'll hold off and I'll watch the market and see when I can go in and buy that. But I, I think it is kind of, and we look at, you know, managing your freight right now, it's almost like managing a portfolio. You know, you have to pay attention to what's working, what's lagging the market, where you have challenges, and you have to have a lot of different tools that you bring to bear. And, you know, we think it's all about data, you know, big investment in data science. So the insights that Matt's able to bring us about the market, about a shipper, about a lane, about a carrier, you've really got to do that daily lane carrier battle, right. but you've got to constantly be sourcing capacity. So it's a, it's a triple D. It is drivers, disruption, and data. That's the t-shirtism, Ben, that we're after there. I love that. So uh, Matt, I'm going to come to you next because I, I love that overview that the pride of Spartanburg, South Carolina just shared, Ben Cubitt. <laughs> He touched on service capacity and price and some of the things we're expecting there. But if you could, you know, given this business environment we're in, if you could speak to some of what you're seeing in those three areas and kind of a follow-up question, what we're seeing different between the regions that the report breaks down. And Ben, I'll, I'll circle back with you after Matt shares. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's it's, it's really tough. I, there's there's the, you look at COVID and sort of how we got here was, and, you know, Ben talked about rates being as low as we've ever seen them, you know, coming into April of 2020, it's kind of a nuclear winter kind of feel. We're all in lockdown. We don't know what's coming. Um, flows are slowing down. Um, you know, there were companies that were negotiating hundreds of millions of dollars of freight in April. 
And as you can well imagine, all of that uncertainty, um, there's going to be really aggressive negotiations to, to shore up those volumes. Um, within three months, um, the market had sh completely shifted. Um, you think about automotive stopping. Okay, if you built your portfolio on automotive as a carrier, you're in trouble. Where do you put those assets? If you're CPG, uh, anything that's associated with cleanliness or san sanitation is off the chart. So uh, some were zigging and some were zagging in extreme ways. And then as you get out of the uh, out of the COVID, we start understanding it. Um, you know, we made some headway relative to vaccines, and we think we're getting back to normal. Oh, by the way, the consumer's not spending money on trips to, uh, you know, uh, Atlantis or Disney World. And um, now we're going to start fixing our decks and making our house look better because now I've got to work in it. Um, so the, all these flows change at the same time. And, and we're really in a point now where just the consumer is, in, is the strongest position from a credit from savings perspective that we've ever seen. And they're buying things and all those things require trucks to move them. So. Right. You know, what we're seeing is, is and here's the challenge, um, you know, we don't have any sort of green shoots of optimism right now. Um, the, the economy continues. None at all? <laughs> None, None at all? It needs to be white hot. Um, there's backlog for new equipment. Um, people are moving around in jobs and, you know, there's, there's stimulus money that's making, uh, you know, difficult jobs less attractive. So you have a confluence of things that are occurring. And so what, what I'm seeing from the data perspective is, and where we're being pushed, and it's very exciting. Um, when you think of a normal economy, the normal ebb and flow, things are intolerance. You know, you have seasonality. It's but it's not as extreme as now. Then the the focus on the data is, you know, those metrics are fairly stable. Um, what we're seeing now is, you know, for things like on time, can you get into all the granular aspects of knowing why something was late to then assign root cause remedies, but taking disparate mm -hmm. data sources. Right. We can say, OK, it was late. Why was it late? Did, the, did they drop 20 orders on one day and we had no time? Was it the appointments moving? You know, there's all these different stories in the data. And so now we're getting to a point where companies have to go and resolve things quickly, particularly where they're not working. And we're sort of synthesizing that information so that they can take action much faster. Um, and that's happening in a lot of different areas. So for me, being in data science, um, this type of shock has just put a premium on knowing exactly the extent of uh, issues and where to find them and where to solve them and how to align processes based on those changes because it's a real-time environment that we're trying to deal with. You know, it's not a business cycle type of situation. So, right. so that's the change. Um, and then as far as locations and locales, um, pretty much everything in the U.S. is tough. Um, Mexico is tough. There's a lot of trade imbalance there that creates issues for drivers and capacity. Um, you think of NAFTA working both ways, you can build logistics that are more efficient. You break one flow, you know, if the, if the manufacturing is going northbound, but we're not getting anything southbound, then you have issues um, there as well. Canada has been very uh, mild, um, but there's a sense that they're going to be following our footsteps. And then Europe is very much like the U.S. And um, so we're seeing, we're seeing uh, I think Canada has probably been the, the least impacted through all this, but every other mode, every other location. And then you can't forget international right now that I think Vietnam, Vietnam has closed their ports because right. of it and lockdown. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happened in China. Um, so, uh, so it's, you know, it's really just the level of uncertainty is unlike anything I've seen in my career. Agreed. Yeah. Speaking of Vietnam, uh, they never stopped taking foreign investment throughout uh, 2020. And because of some of the conditions you're talking about, Matt, uh, the, the apparel, the shoe wear, even the smartphone industries are being disrupted there with what's going on in Vietnam. Um, I want to share a couple of things. I'm going to circle back to Ben and then Corinne. I think we're going to break out the crystal balls, but I want to share. So first off, Seem, welcome uh, via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Glad you're here today. Uh, Greg Beagle says it is systemic. Shippers are looking at different options and not staying with the status quo. The prices have caused them to examine new avenues. Um, and then I've got a great question from Azalea, but I'm going to bring that back around. Uh, ben, before we move forward to, um, you know, kind of what's ahead, anything else you'd like to add from what we're seeing from, again, at service capacity and price standpoint or the geographic differences? Yeah, I think, you know, as Matt talks about the prep for our webinar and the report, um, I spent a lot of time talking to carriers and shippers. And so, in talking to carriers, I felt like I was seeing some strong uh, trends, but we wanted to put some data behind it. And so we did a survey 
of our 300, 350 uh, core carriers, strategic partners, and we asked them a couple questions. You know, um, you know, what is your seated truck count? Is it higher or lower than it was in 2020? Then in January compared to July, uh, do you have more drivers, less drivers? What are the reason drivers are leaving? What are you doing to try to recruit drivers? And we got a great response. We had a, a good um, a good data dispersion. We had uh, you know, carriers with less than 100 trucks, 100 to 250, 250, 400, 500, 1,000, et cetera. And um, I thought the results were really interesting. So if you look at historical, when we've had capacity uh, supply mismatches, carriers have been able to, you know, to, to they buy class eights, they recruit drivers, but that hasn't worked in this market. Right. So you look at carriers, what carriers consistently told us is I have fewer drivers than I did uh, in 2020. I have fewer than I did in January. We did the survey in July and, you know, it was about a, you know, 10 to 20% drop. And 70% um, of the, the, the carriers said they had fewer drivers. Uh, I think it was around 10% were about the same, 20% said, said more. And uh, when you looked at that, you know, carriers were saying, I have 10 to 15% unseated trucks. Mm -hmm. so I've invested in a truck, I have it sitting against the fence. I have plenty of loads. Carrier after carrier tells me, Ben, I got plenty of loads, uh, but I don't have drivers. And then if you do get a driver, you don't have a trailer. And that's the disruptions part. So, um, and, and a lot of carriers was really interesting, tied that back to warehouse labor. You know, Matt talking about the challenges of people doing difficult jobs, but we see shippers not able to ship, not able to turn equipment, not able to meet their full order book because they don't have enough warehouse workers. They don't have enough plant workers. And so those disruptions are just all across the supply chain. And, you know, a, a challenge in warehouse labor creates a challenge in turning trailers, which now means that you've got a driver, you know, you're 10% short of drivers, you've got a load, and you can't find a trailer. Right. So, you know, a lot of truck drivers spend their day looking for trailers in the morning and then parking at night. Right. The parking. So it's a, it's a very tough job. And what carriers are also seeing is that even with two, three, four uh, raises, things that historically put drivers in there, they're not. And that's a challenge for all of us in supply chain. How do we recruit drivers and how do we keep drivers in this industry? Yep. All right. So, Corinne, I'm throwing it over to you, but I'm going to say it's like we've got the lobster and the flip-flops, but no rolls, right? We're always missing something here. So, Corinne, where are we going next? Hey, I'm willing to eat the lobster all on its own. Just if, <laughs> if, if there's any question there, let me know. I'll even come pick it up, Matt. So just, just uh, tell me when and where. Um, and I'll bring some butter uh, <laughs> along. Um, but, but so obviously, Ben, you've just gone through constraints in every area of the process, right? From, from the finished goods right through to, uh, to getting them on board and, and delivered. Um, let me step back for just a minute, Matt, and as the data science perspective, right? So artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning have never been more critical um, because our data and our profiles and our trends are completely different than they have been in the past. I mean, we really need to evaluate the, um, the most current information to get that look forward. So tell us, as you've done the research for Q3, right? So this is hot off the press, um, Tell us, when you look at your crystal ball, when you look at the data, what should we expect, not just in the next three months, but what does that trend look like through the end of the year? Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Um, certainly markets, um, particularly in contract markets where you're negotiating and you're setting a rate, they move slower than the spot market. Uh, yep. That kind of goes without saying. Um, the, the inflation we've seen on the contract side over the last 12 months is about a, about a percent a month, right? And what drives that is how effective those route guides are and actually getting the freight because when they, when they don't work, they go to the spot market. So we measure those using the same baseline and we know that spot markets are anywhere from 30 to 50, 60%, sometimes more over the contract rates. That pressure and that difference in the rate hasn't changed um, since about, I would say, I mean, it, it fluctuates, but in terms of the separation, has been with us for uh, 12 months at least, maybe more. Um, so there's there's really nothing that we see in the horizon, you know, looking out that would indicate that separation would collapse and, and, and bring things into parity. 
Um, in, in soft markets, that gap is very small. In extremely soft markets, the, the spot market actually inverts under the under the contract rate. So right now, that pressure is holding. Um, we're continuing to see route guides struggle. Now that said, uh, you talk about data science and looking across our 11 billion in freight. There are differences by companies. You know, each individual companies, depending on their industry and how they manage their their carriers, um, some will pay a little bit more to get that service, and their performance will be a little higher. Others, maybe they, you know, they secured those rates back in mm -hmm. April when they were cheap, and now they're in the spot market more than they'd like to be. So individual results vary, um, and so you know, we 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 we're in a position to serve all of those companies, but if just reporting on the data. I would say in the next six to nine months, um, we're not seeing anything that's going to alleviate this. We're not going to get new capacity from from manufacturers very quickly. They're 12 months backlog. I mean, their build outs almost through 2022, um, and they're delivering about I don't know 25,000 uh, power units a month. Um, and so that's not going to fix itself. Uh, I think the only thing that's really going to fix the situation is if the economy cools down and um, you know, we're seeing reports of consumer price inflation that came out today. The market kind of reacted to that not so positively. So um, once this market starts cooling off and, it, and the alignment between the supply and the demand is a little more in balance, um, that would be our, our saving grace. But could we have another year uh, in 2022 that's similar to 2021? I think it's definitely possible. If I can butt in just for a second here. So Azalea, is uh, not only is she a biomedical engineer, but she is a world-class data analyst and uh, one of our favorites here. Uh, and she's got a great question that's above my pay grade. I'll, uh, maybe uh, it's for the three of y'all perhaps, but I'll address Matt here. So Matt, uh, she says, do you encounter false outliers because all of the variables in the economy today? And if so, how do you identify those in your analysis? Yeah, so th that's a that is a really great question, and the reason that it's great is because um, artificial intelligence, machine learning—they're terms that we've all come to use very quite easily. They just roll off of our mouths. But when you get to the under, you know, open the hood a little bit and take a look at how those things work, um, you're you're essentially trying to map a reality based on the data you have, so that it could be useful as a model. Um, with the types of shocks that we've seen. So let's just say I take, so I've built forecasting models. I've taken the PMI index, the class eight orders builds and all that. And you know, you got a hundred different trends and then you're trying to predict what the market's going to do. Um, when you have a big you know, shock and you're looking back four or five years, the model's not smart enough typically to know what caused that shock or to even, mm. and it sort of ingests or puts noise into the process. Um, so I think when it comes to using any sort of data, um, the question is, do you really understand it? And do you count for those those variables? Um, because the other risk is you just sort of make the model fit whatever it's doing, and then it's not really measuring anything. It's just sort of giving you a representation of what you're looking for. So um, that's a that's a that's a twenty dollar question, and I think I'm giving it a five cent answer here. But um, you just have to be that's really okay. smart what you're looking at. And um, you know, for me, I can tell you personally that we have a lot of processes that are set up with individual accounts and they might measure things differently, mm. right? And so I have to actually take their data and harmonize it, which means I'm going to be telling you how we're measuring this um, because your individual results are a little bit different in your process, but we know that right. this rule is how, and, and if those results come out and they're not as advantageous to the current reports, then I get questions of well, why are you doing it that way? Well, because they have to, because we have to harmonize everything. I can't go and take 50 different ways that are all unique to your business and then tell you this is a benchmark. I got to take one way and, and you may not agree with it, but that's okay because it's harmonized. So you really have to understand the processes in your data and you have to understand what it is you're trying to explain. And um, uh, all of these data models, uh, they don't really do well with glitches. You have to have ways to, to sort of understand what those glitches do to, to what you're trying to find, so. Yeah, Matt and Scott, I'd add a little bit to that. Um, as Ali, I think it's a great question. And what we believe is doing root cause analysis. In this market, root cause analysis may be more important than ever because you're really trying to answer, is it the market? Is it me? Is it my carrier, right? So if it's the market, you know, yeah, you have to have some strategies to counter that, but is it me? So I'll give it a good example, is, is it me? What we're seeing is the importance of forecasting and, and not enough shippers forecast, but you know, if, if all of a sudden the carrier's expected to give me 20 trucks a week and I'm shipping 40, you know, first of all, if I hold that, if I hold that, you know, carrier and you know, give them a black eye, you know, 
you really want to understand, hey, they're meeting the commitment. They may even be giving me five extra, but they can't give me the 15. Mm -hmm. So beating on that carrier doesn't solve the problem. It's, is that 40 going to continue? And do I need to go source it? You know, is it the carrier? But, but I think getting, we believe that, you know, you really have to understand the data at a finite level. I think your question, Scott, about markets is really interesting. And again, you have to translate that into your strategies. Is it the market, meaning, you know, Southern California is disrupted? You know, Texas is a problem in, in, the, in, in that when we had all the storms back in February and, you know, really disrupted kind of regional. So is it the market? Is it me? Is it the carrier? Is it my strategy? And you have to do root cause analysis. And I think some people are surfing at the higher end of the data. And in this market to win, you really have to understand what is the data telling me? What is the root cause? You know, what do I need to correct? And then what are my strategy and tools that I can go do it? Yeah, Ben, you know, that, that's a really important point that you made. So forecasting is critically important in a couple of different areas, right, for supply chain, forecasting what products I need at what time, et cetera, but then also using that market demand to help determine what transportation I need in order to move those goods to market when I expect them to be needed by my customers. Um, you made the comment at the beginning of, of, of your statements there, what percentage of shippers do you consider good forecasters, you know, that, that are able to kind of come to the table with a pretty good indication of what they're going to need? And then secondly, do they continue to refine that? Are they able to kind of sense and respond as market changes occur? Yeah, and I, I divide that into two groups of forecasting. You know, it's amazing. As much as forecasting, as many models as are out there, it is still extremely rare to be applied to transportation. Mm -hmm. So most shippers don't forecast. They don't even tell their carriers when things are happening. For instance, I may have a plant shutting down or move a plant. And I may may tell my carriers I may not. So all the student carriers just not seeing the demand anymore. But forecasting, uh, let's let's take weekly forecasting. It, it is rare. We see only a small percentage of shippers uh, some of the larger CPG shippers have experimented with it because it's so core to their business. And, you know, we see some people really experimenting with it. Um, a large shipper here in Atlanta is doing a good job, and they're at the early stages, and they're measuring their, their accuracy. And I, and I think it has an impact. If they can tell their carriers, hey, I'm going to have extra demand, and in your lane, it needs to be specific. It can't be, hey, I'm just going to be busy, but your lane is going to see a surge those carriers that can start redirecting capacity in, or they can tell you, I'm not going to be able to help you. Go find a plan B instead of just starting to scramble as you have those loads. So that's one thing, but, but we see, you know, less than, I, I want to say 10%, but I'm very confident less than 20% even trying to forecast. And then of those who do forecast, most are in the early stages. It's not a mature process. And then the second thing I'd say is people, we still have surges end of month, end of quarter, you have uh, people that are making uh, canned goods, certain canned goods that have a seasonal demand, mm -hmm. you know, so you're kind of packing it all. And then you have these demands. Water has a demand right now, you know, 4th of July demand. And um, it's interesting. Some people are, are, are good at predicting that, but we still see lots of challenges. People, when they try to estimate end of quarter, end of season surges, uh, it, it's amazing how variable the actual is to the demand. And there's right. a lot of reasons for that. But but it's a challenge. And I, and I think it's worth the investment. I think it would help carriers. I think it would help the networks. Um, but right now, it, it's a very uh, immature, rarely used tool. So yeah, I think I, along these same... Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I was just going to share a really uh, interesting quote that I think kind of captures the, the challenge. Um, you have a need for speed? No, 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 that's good. That's good. Um, well, this was last year and we were being asked to forecast this year and um, we were, you know, kind of vacillating between certain, certain numbers. And so the challenge that was presented to me and this company ships billions uh, in trucking expense, a very large company. And the CFO uh, was asking the, the person over transportation budget, uh, just tell me what we're going to spend in transportation next year. It's not like I'm asking you to predict the economy. Oh. And, I thought, and I thought that was just so interesting of a statement because trucking is so deeply intertwined to the economy that if you can figure out trucking forecasts, 
you're in the wrong industry. Um, you might want to go work for Warren Buffett or somebody else because that level of um, supply disruptions and demand disruptions across all those industries, uh, it's, it's just, it's all, it's all connected. Uh, so it's, it's just super challenging. I, I, I tend to believe that the more uh, rapid you are at assessing and the best feelers in the ground that you have and, and how you build optionality into your decisions, you know, always kind of have a plan B or processes that support that. Um, that's your best path forward versus trying to guess where you're going to be in six months because you're going to be wrong. Um, so that, but you know, there's different opinions on that. Um, and, and this is coming from somebody who has worked with a lot of data and, um, you know, should be able to answer those questions with data, but data is an artifact, right? Um, the future is, mm. it's, uh, perplexes all of us. Right. So, right. And, and it's a dynamic environment, right? It, it seems like it's changing hour to hour. Um, but so you are painting. Yeah, ships, ships get stuck in the Suez Canal, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can that. Hey, right. let's not let's not tempt fate with any other kind of wild and crazy disruptions here. But you know, a lot of what you are sharing paints pretty a, a grim picture, right? Current state and future state, and I know uh, we're all looking to minimize volatility. We're trying to gain and optimize clarity. We're trying to uh, mitigate the risk. Uh, and, and risk in all different different forms. How, how would you advise? I and mean, y'all have touched on a couple of things. Of course, the forecasting, uh, root cause analysis were a couple of great points. But what else? And, and I'll start with you, Ben. What else would you advise shippers to to reduce that volatility and, and be more successful in the path ahead? Yeah, I, you know, um, as we do these market updates, uh, we also talk to companies. Probably Matt and I both talk to five or six of our of our shippers, uh, consulting customers about you know outlook and you know prep for budget season what should i budget and sometimes we get the market update and we've learned to get better about it it can seem gloom and doom you know and it, okay great that, that sounds horrible what do i do now which is your question scott so um you know i think first of all you know what matt said we're big believers in is optionality have a market outlook and probably think about the market outlook as scenarios hey it could get worse stay about the same it could get better it could get a lot worse and what's your strategies and what do you need to do if those happen? And then watch the data to tell you which way you're going. Because in this dynamic, as, as soon as you have all your ideas and your optionality and your strategy, you're going to have to you're going to have to change it. You know, LTL carriers, um, you know, every LTLs, we've always seen that capacity as finite. You just give it to the LTL carriers and they take it. And we have to send another trailer. So now we're in this world where LTL carriers have finite capacity. You know, parcel carriers the same way. We're getting ready to come into e-commerce season, and you know that's going to impact all of us. So you know, we we think it begins with just good sound fundamentals. You know, when you we talked about football earlier, football begins with with good strong fundamentals. So that's watching your lanes, watching the data, paying attention to the detail. And and some folks don't do that. So again, we just reiterated that again. You know, it's a daily, weekly battle. Um, but then look at that optionality Matt discussed. You're always, when you have these disruptions, you can, you know, be unhappy about them. You can ignore them. You know, you, you know, you cannot see them. But when you do see them, you know, look at your alternatives. Go to your partners first. And, you know, we think this market, it's critical to work with your carrier partners. And, and take the answer they give you, not the answer you want. So you may go to them on a lane and say, I need help. You've got to take all of this. And one of two bad things will happen. They'll either, I guess, three bad things. They'll tell you they can't take it, which is mm -hmm. good. You know, it's honest. They'll they'll say I'll try, and then they'll fail, or they'll say um, I can do it, but at a higher cost. So if a partner tells you they can't do it or they can only take half, you know, accept that. You know, push back. But okay, if they can do half, let me go find another alternative. So you know, I think Scott, it's not very exciting, but it comes down to that. Really understand your data. Understand your disruptions. Are they regional? Are they local? Are they lane level? Am I causing it? You know, kind of what we said earlier. And then go do something. Mm. And the go do something is critical. We still see shippers where we'll do a deep dive in their data trying to help them. You know, they'll say, gosh, I got too much spot spent. I got this and that. And we'll kind of put a SWAT team, SWAT approach on it. And we'll see lanes where they've offered the same shipment to a carrier 84 times and the carrier's taking it zero. Right. We're like, the mystery's over in this lane. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to take, take it. <laughs> not at all. Go, go do something else, please. <laughs> so, yeah. um, 
Go ahead, man. I want I want to get your take on the same question, but I want y'all thinking about something because before we I pass it back to Corinne, we've got a great question from Ziggy about how reverse logistics is impacting. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to I want to get that question before we we move ahead. But but Matt, same question: reducing volatility. What's your take? Yeah. So there there to just to build on what Ben was saying about being nimble and tracking and 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 doing the triage. Um, you're really trying to establish a commercial relationship with companies that can that can provide services, right? Um, if if you're a company that has uh, four levels of approval for a new truck rate, and it takes you four months to get that across the line, guess what you've just done? You've just put yourself in the spot market, and you're going to pay forty percent over your over that contract rate when you could just push in a ten percent increase and get market alignment, and then get those trucks. So. My biggest thing is 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 the volatility that, that can exist from a cost perspective or a service perspective is is really the root cause is the lack of nimbleness um, or understanding the breadth of what's possible, which is what we do as a three PL. Right, um, we'll show up with twenty different approaches. Your organization may have only had two over the last five years, and the two that you're using now don't work. So, um, so I think I think nimbleness and intelligence and um, knowing what's a, a realistic expectation of, of both service and cost in this market is really, really the key drivers there. I love that. And I also, also love the phrase art of the possible. And if, if it's ever applied as in terms of getting out of how things have always been done, it's, it's this air we're going through. And, and to some degree, it's the silver lining and all this. But Corinne, you and I both know, uh, you know we've got the reverse logistics series here at Supply yep. Chain. Now we partner with our friends at RLA there. Had a great uh, live stream with uh, Cisco was doing some really cool things uh, when it comes to anything, but especially reverse logistics. Um, and of course, in this environment where e-commerce continues and for, for for forever will continue to increase, of course, what goes right along with it is returns and reverse logistics. So I'd love to get any, any. I know this is a, kind of a curveball, but any any commentary on how you're seeing reverse logistics impacting that demand for shipping services? Yeah, I, I think what, you know, reverse logistics can often be done inefficiently. And if you think about, you know, there's so much focus and reverse logistics is an afterthought. So um, reverse logistics and with the growth of e-commerce, you know, there's a lot of reverse logistics in e-commerce, you know, and um, you buy five things and you keep returning it till you get something you like, you know, and you, you can try stuff. That creates inefficiency in the supply chain. So, I, I, but it also creates opportunity because, you know, if you if you have reverse logistics and if you can put some planning and you can do some prediction, you may be able to tie those two lanes together, and that's a that's a win. You know, so so I think reverse logistics can be both a loss for the network or it can be a win. And um, well, that, that you know, if I expand upon reverse logistics, if I think about non-primary shipping, if I look about vendor inbound, or if I think about involving uh, receivers, you know. Uh, the really the folks that are doing a great job in this supply chain are looking across their network, and then they're coming to people like Transplace who have 11 billion in freight, and they're saying, "Hey, you have somebody else's reverse logistics or somebody else's inbound move matches with my outbound." And so, when we've got this giant challenge of capacity that we have and this sustained capacity, we need to ship fuller trucks with less empty miles. So that's the way I look at reverse logistics: is you know, can you bring that same efficiency? And can you maybe tie it into your network? And that's what we see, you know, maybe you can be dedicated. And, you know, that's good for the carriers and drivers too. So now instead of having a half truck full truck that ships to the middle of nowhere without a design and then has to drive 80 empty miles, how do I pair up? And that's a big focus. You know, half of what I'm doing at Transplace is what we call Transplace Network Solutions, where we try to get all that inbound, outbound, reverse demand and try to bring carriers solutions that are multi-shipper, multi-mode. We, we have a service that does nothing but put partial loads together and things like logistics are great for that. If we see you have half a truck going to California from Ohio and somebody else has a couple you know, pallets of reverse logistics, we can put that together, save you money, get your capacity and really be more efficient um, across the industry. Yeah. And I want to jump in there. So, so Ben, it, it's a terrible time to be a bad customer, right? It's, it's, it, it's a terrible thing for being a bad yeah. shipper is bigger than ever. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you've been involved in carrier shipper collaboration for a number of years. 
um, as we look at the marketplace. Number one, I want to make sure that our listeners understand where TransPlace can help um, as they they look to um, you know to minimize the impact of all of these disruptions and constraints in the marketplace. So um, just give us a quick um, perspective on what TransPlace offers in the marketplace. You were just talking about some of the network services, uh, but but why you've got such a strong opinion and point of view on both the shipper perspective as well as those carrier partners that are in the mix as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think collaboration begins with trust. And the first thing I'd say is that it works and it works for those people who commit to it, invest in it and work around the challenges. And so, you know, one of our, our, our acquisitions over the last couple of years was LaneHub. So LaneHub had built this, uh, Mark Ackland's team built this tremendous tool that lets all kinds of networks, you know, 29 being in freight, um, overlap. And then you can see that Home Depot has a truck going and I can put a, you know, a Kellogg's load with mm-hmm. that. And it works out great for both of those folks. So we, we have LaneHub, which does what we call planned continuous move lane matching. Then we had an AI investment where we're doing dynamic continuous moves. So I have a team that looks at that every morning. And so they see a load today. Uh, one of the 25 loads coming into Atlanta matches up with another shipper's load over to Alabama. It may never happen again, but that day, the arrival departure times match up, the freight types, and we put those together every day, all day with over 100 shippers. Uh, we also have the partial load matching. Uh, we've been building our own LTL pool network. So mm-hmm. as we have well over a billion in LTL freight. We're building collaborative pools like Chicago to, to Texas, to Laredo, Chicago to, to, um, to um, California. And then we may see two or three shippers who say are up in Wisconsin and we can put their freight together and pool it. Um, we run a, a, a series of dedicated fleets. We're not asset, but we're contracted with over six or seven carriers approaching uh, multiple hundreds of trucks. And we, we, we just put those shippers together, both planned and unplanned. But we run those trucks. We, we look at low volume freight, mm-hmm. uh, a challenge for shippers. Uh, we have over 1.5 billion of low volume freight when we consolidate that in our network. So while a shipper can't build density, we can build density from Ohio uh, back to Illinois and Wisconsin and back. So we can put dedicated trucks and we may have 15 customers in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and 20 customers in Illinois, Wisconsin. We put those low volume lanes together and run dedicated. So those are the type of solutions and we're continuing to look and, 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 and do new things uh, each week. But those are some of the ideas and it's just trying to build on a shipper's network. Uh, the other one I'll, I'll throw out is uh, backhauls for dedicated private fleets. That's been a real win for shippers and for carriers and for our network. And we're trying to keep that carrier capacity in our in our network to help our shippers and to bring them capacity. Yeah, yeah, that good stuff. So lots of different areas and bringing those relationships together, maximizing not just um, you know your own dedicated uh, teams, but the ability to match and eliminate some of those empty miles and get better leverage on on shipments as well. I like the point about those um, infrequent high value shipments as well, right? It's, it's handling a lot of those um, one-off scenarios or a big customer order going to a new location uh, that can be so challenging uh, in working with carriers that you haven't worked with before. So working with a team like Transplace can help you match up with a high caliber partner to move those goods. So um, thanks for those examples. That's really helpful. Yep. And real quick, we, we, we picked on the 1980s earlier, but now's not a time to ship like it's 1982. <laughs> if you're a bad shipper, you're in trouble, as Ben said. All right. So Corinne, I know we're, we're up against a time. What, what are we... Uh, What's our final agenda item here today? I think our final agenda agenda item is to encourage our listeners to download the report, take a look at it, um, dig into the analysis. Uh, It is really comprehensive. It'll give you some specifics around truckload and less than truckload and then some insights around ocean and intermodal as well. So I want to encourage you to take a look at that information, see how that applies to your business. And then if appropriate, be sure to reach out to the team at TransPlace and see if they can't help you overcome some of this volatility and disruption that's in the marketplace. 
Well, so Matt, I know Ben kind of shared some of his last thoughts there. I want to throw it over to you and whether you want to challenge the audience or share one, one, uh, I love the quotes you shared, you name it. What's, what's some final words you'd like to share with our audience here? Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's sort of the, the idea that, you know, the data should be evolving. Um, so in addition to all the services Ben talks about, we do have data services where, uh, if you want to understand, you know, Ben had said, is it me, the market or my carriers, my lanes? Um, we've developed services to help companies do that. They don't have to be on our TMS. It's just, we have a, a connector and they can plug into it and uh, get all the, the insight and information they need in terms of costs, you know, route guide metrics, on time, payload, all that. And so we make comparisons against our slice of the market uh, for mm -hmm. individual companies, regardless if they're on our network. So. Um, That'd be one closing thought. And I, I just keep your chins up. I mean, I know from the market perspective that, you know, what goes up comes down and um, we're all earning our, our paychecks this year. And, um, you know, it's it's a tough job, but it won't stay this way forever. I, you know, I, I'd give it another year um, and maybe sooner. We'll be watching it. I know that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll tell you, if you can tap into Matt Harding's uh, data scientist brain and while getting hectored by Ben Cubitt, which is a great word he shared <laughs> earlier, you're, you're a good place. Uh, but big thanks to our friends at Transplace. Uh, Y'all check out, we got a link in the comments there. Big thanks to Ben Cubitt and Matt Harding. And of course, all of our friends, uh, Alyssa and the whole team at Transplace. Great conversation here today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Scott. Thanks Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, all right, man. Wow. Lots of good stuff, right? I felt yeah. like we were just getting started, Scott. Well, we could easily. Yeah. Uh, bright folks like that, you need a couple hours, especially with all that math. And that's with two Fs, Corinne. That is above, <laughs> that's high, <laughs> high level thinking. But that's that's the world we live in, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, have, we have more data uh, and meaningful information at our fingertips. Uh, you know, we've got to be dynamic, especially with these long shipping lanes uh, and especially some of the other uh, challenges that they spoke to. And you've got to lean on folks that know how to get yeah. it done. Yeah. Um, so, but Corinne, there, there's so many comments we couldn't get to here today. I'm, I'm, I hate it. Uh, we had so, so, so many great questions, but you know, an hour never, it goes by like that, but what's your, uh, we got a couple of quick events I'll mention here momentarily, but give me your, one of your key takeaways here today. Yeah. One of the things that stuck to me early on, um, that I think Ben mentioned is focus on capacity instead of rates. So the first and foremost goal is, can we move it and who are we going to move it with? Um, and then let's look at rates because as Matt said, those rates, the spread between contracted rates, right? What I negotiate ahead of time and my spot rates, that gap is bigger than ever. Um, if you can find a carrier, your spot rate is going to be a lot higher uh, than it has been historically. But focus on getting that capacity first and then work through the details of the cost basis to get it there. Well said. Well said. And I would just add to Corinne's uh, wonderful take there. Don't run in flip-flops, folks. Don't make that mistake this summer. Do not run in <laughs> flip-flops. Flip, flip That's my kids try to do all the time. All right. So really quick, we'll touch on a couple of upcoming events. Uh, we invite y'all to join Corinne and I and Kevin and Kelly and Greg as we serve as the, the exclusive virtual host of Larsa Series, the one and only uh, annual event, uh, the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit, September 7th through the 9th. Uh, Corinne, we've got a half day with you uh, as we kind of cover the rock and roll conversations taking place there, right? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There, There's always, always some really good insights that come from these conversations. So um, I hope that folks can join us. Um, I hope they can register for the event as well. Um, I guarantee you'll get some good direction and, and good insights. Yes, uh, it'll be almost as good as Ben and Matt today, uh, we think. Uh, they, they, they set a tall standard here today. But kidding aside, y'all come out and check it out. SupplyChainInsightsGlobalSummit.com is the place and a lot of great movers and shakers uh, across the world of global business. And then finally, hey, we want to celebrate a lot of good news, a lot of the successes in a very challenging year, a lot of great stories of leadership and beyond at our Supply Chain and Procurement Awards taking place December 8th. Hey, nominations are open, and we're, do we're donating all of our nomination fees to Hope for Justice which is a great global mm. nonprofit that's tackling and eradicating slavery. slavery. So yep. um, uh, it, it's, I can't believe it's 2021 and I've, and we're still using that word and we're tackling that, that travesty, but uh, y'all, y'all come check it out, nominate, register, sponsor, you name it. We'd love to have you part of that December 8th event. Okay. Holy cow, man. Ben and Matt were as advertised. They should be doing a show in Vegas. Uh, not only you, you laugh a little bit, but you also get a lot smarter, right? Yep. 
Yep. Can't you can't uh, you can't call out Maverick and Goose and and not bring something to the table. So uh, <laughs> right. so we we certainly appreciate uh, their insights today. Thanks to the team from Transplace for for sharing their Q3 insights with us. Uh, I encourage you all to download that report and uh, and dive into some of the details we weren't able to to uh, tap into today. I guarantee. That's right. It's going to raise your supply chain IQ. I guarantee that as well. Money back guarantee with that said. Hey, but we got a link in the comments. You can also visit them at transplace.com. All one word, transplace.com. And Corinne, with that, I'm going to give you the final word. So take us out. Okay. Thanks so much. So on the topic of raising your supply chain IQ, I want to encourage you all to check out the many resources that are available at supplychainnow.com. And uh, while you're there, please look for Tech Talk and subscribe. We want to help you eliminate the noise and focus on the information and inspiration that you need to transform your business and replace risky inventory with valuable insights. We're going to see you next time on Tech Talk and, of course, here on Supply Chain Now, the voice of supply chain. Thanks, everybody.